politics, culture, chaos. It's time to make sense of it all. It's time to have a little fun. This is your afternoon dose of sanity. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. You know, from time to time, I think to myself, could NPR be more ridiculous? Could it be more ridiculous? And my tax dollars pay for this? And they have huge billboards at 95 and an ad campaign. And here I am having to work with wonderful sponsors who support the show, but I don't get any federal funding for this. And then I see a story from NPR about emojis. Which skin color emoji should you use? The answer can be more complex than you think. And I think to myself, get me off this planet. Stop it. Slow it down. I'm done. I'm done. Hey, good afternoon. Welcome to the podcast. How you doing today? What is going on in your world? Let me get you a little bit of the NPR uh, story here, just as we can remember just how truly ridiculous NPR is. Seeing a friend or messaging a coworker. And I want to reply with a simple thumbs up emoji. But it's not that simple because there's not just one thumbs up option. There's the Simpsons yellow version and then five different skin tone options. I use the brown one that matches me. I have some friends who use the brown ones too, but they are not brown themselves. This confuses me. That's Sarai Cole. Okay, so let's begin by saying now it's cultural appropriation. If you use a brown emoji and you're not brown, but everybody's using the Simpsons yellow just because that's the default one for the record. But you may not be Simpsons yellow because you're not a Simpson cartoon character. So I don't know how that works. If that's appropriation, I'm not quite sure. Well, from Berlin, Germany, she's black and originally from California. She says she's not offended when a non-brown friend uses a brown emoji, but would mm. like to understand why. Right. I, right. too, have long been curious and a bit confused by the race politics of emojis. Yeah. I posted about it sure. on Twitter this week where I learned clearly this was not an isolated obsession. Mm. This is Heath Rosella in Littleton, Massachusetts. I am three quarters white, but I'm also a quarter Filipino. Oh. Rosella says he usually goes with the yellow emoji because oh, it doesn't right. represent any specific ethnicity or skin tone. Right. I present as very pale, very light-skinned. Mm. And if I use the white emoji, I feel like I'm betraying the part of myself that's Filipino. Mm. Right. But if I use a darker color emoji, which maybe more closely matches what I see when I look at my whole family, sure. it's sure. not what the world sees, and people tend to judge that. Laura Johnson does from anyone, Austin, Texas says she used... Does anyone ju judge that? Out of curiosity, does anyone judge... Do you judge that? Or do you... No, because you... No. How about a heart emoji? My heart is uh is broken and the heart emoji is just hearty and then the, the the tears i don't have tears when i cry when i laugh but the emoji says i'm crying laughing but i'm not i'm crying on the inside i'm crying on the inside npr as i listen to this i'm crying on the inside no i like i really am crying on the inside Texas says she used to think the yellow emoji was neutral, but then she started reading a book that made her rethink that view. Mm. In particular, Ichioma Oluo and her fabulous book, So You Want to Talk About Race, she made me realize that our culture tends to default to whiteness and that yellow emoji is white. No, it's not. It's You just said it's Simpsons yellow. You said it's Simpsons yellow. There's a white emoji, but there's a Simpsons yellow emoji. You just said it's Simpsons yellow. For other people, the choice depends on where the messaging is happening mm. and who yes. they're messaging yes. with. Exactly. Here's yes. Jennifer yes. Epperson yes. from Houston. Mm. She identifies as black. Uh, I use the... Identifies as black? How does somebody identify as black? What does that mean? 
Is, is she black or not? Okay. Default emoji, the yellow toned one for professional settings. And then I use the dark brown emoji for friends and family. Oh. Um, I just don't have the emotional capacity to unpack race relations in the professional settings. Skin-toned emojis mm. first yeah. rolled out in 2015. So it's been a while. You see how stupid it was to even bother rolling them out in the first place? We could have just gone, everybody just been Simpsons yellow and ended it, but that's now white privilege. So now we're doing this. We're doing this. This is how you know COVID's over, you know. You know how COVID's over? This kind of crap. No, see, I, I'm dead serious right now. If you want to know how the pandemic's over, we're talking about cultural appropriating the various emoji skin tone emojis and the complex conversation about race and identity if somebody sends you the I want a middle finger emoji because I want to stick it right in the face of these four NPR reporters who worked on this story four four of them who worked on this I want a giant middle finger you could do any color you want I'll even give you a rainbow one and I want to stick it right in your face. That's what I want to do. That's me, though. That's that's how I that's my jersey. That's my jersey appropriation in a while. But since then, a seemingly easy choice has become somewhat fraught to help us understand. Mm. We've brought in Zara Rahman. She's a writer Good. and researcher based in Berlin. Bring in another person. Hi, yes. thank you for having me. So, Zara, you wrote an article on all of this a few years back. And I want to begin with a somewhat basic question, which is who tends to use skin toned emojis more? What did the research that you found say? Research? I found that there was research to show that the lightest skin tone was actually used the least, uh, even though white Twitter users outnumber black Twitter users four to one. Mm. And yeah, people, I guess in my personal research, I found that uh, white people tended to use the yellow emoji much more than people who were visibly people of color. You know why? Because it's the default and it's easier. And I don't need to go through and scroll down till I find the lighter skinned emoji. Plus I'm Italian and my skin gets a little bit uh, tan. I've got, I mean, where there's so many mixed race, I don't even know. So I just go with the friggin' D. I've never even, honestly, I've never thought about this before. Have you? Have you ever thought about this before? Can you believe that this is NPR? Can you believe this? Can I, I can't go on. I, I can't, I can't. My head hurts. I really can't go on anymore. But just know this. A lot of this is white privilege, all right? Just know that. A lot of this is white privilege. Uh, here is Teachers Union boss Randy Weingarten. We know that masks have impeded learning, but we want to do it anyway. We support um, off-ramps for masking. Um, we know that masks have impede learning, and we, but we also know that masks were there for the safety of, you know, our kids, our communities, yeah. and ourselves. All right. We know that masks impede masking or learning, but we want them to do it anyway because we want to go it until there's zero transmission. Zero transmission. That's the new standard now. Zero COVID transmission. What Dr. McBride just told us about masks not particularly being effective for children, what's the argument against taking off masks in schools? Well, the argument is that you have, well, let me just say this. I am in favor of an off-ramp on masks. Right. The real issue becomes, are, is, the, is, is the spread low enough so that there's no dissemination or transmission in schools? And it's not the teacher transmitting to kids um, it's more kids and kids particularly in elementary schools right now and so the question really becomes do we have that's why I like what Massachusetts has done because what they've said is that on a school by school basis they said if there's 80% vaccination rates then those schools can lift the mandates 
So <clears throat> zero transmission is what we stand for. I want to give her a, a FU emoji. But again, I don't know which skin color to choose. And that's really the problem that I'm facing right now. By the way, don't you love how they talk on NPR too? Well, what we found is um, that the, the emoji skin color has really much to is do it being with people of color. And we heard from people earlier opting it. for the yellow one to not get race involved for some people or to not maybe promote their whiteness. But it seems like there is an argument from some people against using the yellow default. And I'm, I will say, particularly curious about this because I am a frequent user of the Bart Simpson yellow. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's yeah. so interesting. I yeah, mean, interesting. if we look at the Simpsons, is anyone, interested? The Simpsons does is anyone of- interested in this? I'm not. I like the Bart Simpson yellow. Do you? Yes. And I'd love to have a job paid for by the federal government. Well, NPR is funded, you know, because if this was funded by the private sector, we'd all not have a job right now because no one gives a damn about this topic and this subject. And the only reason why it's even being discussed on Zioli's podcast is so that he can make fun of this. Here is uh, the little ghoul, Randy Weingarten. Well, you know, I played her already. I don't need to tell you. I'll just tell you what she said. She said it's confusing that governors are lifting mask mandates and the CDC is recommending um, uh, masks. You know, it's not confusing. You know, you know what it is? It's 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 perfectly understandable. Joe Biden and the Democrats lead from behind. It's what they do all the time. And the extreme base of the Democrat Party is all in on the religion of masks and vaccine mandates and everything else. That's it. That's what it is. That's what it, that's what it exactly is. Now, now, Joe Biden is president. I mean, this guy's a failure in every sense of the word. He's failing all over. And they're afraid now that he's going to come out and say, all right, COVID's over. Another variant hits and everyone's going to blame him. Uh, and they should because he said he was going to be the guy that ended COVID. So... I mean, at some point they will take a victory lap for this, but uh, they may they may not be there yet because they might be worried about a new variant or maybe they have more information than we do. But but Biden doesn't know how to handle anything. This is him responding to uh, why prices, why prices keep going up. But the fact is that if we are able to do the things I'm talking about here, it'll bring down the cost for average families, bring down the cost for average families. I don't know why they keep moving all that, but the fact is they keep down the cost for average families. Yeah. Yeah. You know what it is? Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. We don't know why why they're doing this. Why? Why are they doing this? Why these prices? Why they keep moving? Why they keep moving? Huh? Uh, Why they keep why they keep moving? I don't understand why they keep moving these damn prices. I keep telling them prices stop moving. Huh? Stop moving. You know what the problem is, right? The uh, problem is that this administration has waged a war on energy and that war on energy is translating into more expensive prices. And we're going to keep pretending like it has nothing to do with this. We're going to keep pretending right now like it's just COVID. And they're still blaming COVID. That's the other problem, too, is that the minute that the administration says COVID's over, what do you blame things on? How do you how do you keep blaming COVID if COVID's over? You see what I mean? And look, the fact is that we're in a situation now where, uh, um, you know, yes. you should have peace of mind. I know food prices are up and we're working to bring them down. As I said, I grew up in a family where the price at the pump went up, you fill it. And I understand. But these things are necessities. We're working to bring down prices where they're not totally what the families, in fact, uh, have to pay now. You still have to pay for child care. Child care is a cost for millions of families. You still have to pay your prescription drug prices. You still have to pay for health care. You want to lower the cost of living for people, help them in those areas. So there's more than one way for a family when it comes to raising their standard of living. 
I'm going to work like the devil to bring gas prices down, which I'm going to work in to make sure that we keep strengthening the supply chains to bring the cost of energy and everything else and the goods that come to America down by helping the ports 24-7, by changing a whole range of things that, you know, what's happened with COVID, COVID has caused significant increase in prices in the supply chain. COVID. We're still blaming COVID. We're still blaming COVID. That's where we are right now. How many how, how many times are we going to keep blaming COVID out of curiosity? Huh? How many times? It's just, it's amazing to me. It's amazing. By the way, uh, the Brooklyn Nets uh, are sending James Harden to the Philadelphia 76ers for Ben Simmons and others. I don't know if you care or not. I don't really care. But I just I just wanted to mention that since that just news broke just a short time ago. Uh why not? You know what I mean? I just give you all the all the news of the day. So it's just better that way if I give you all the news, even the good news and the bad news, too. Why not give you all of it? Um, I think that really what we're seeing right now is Democrats like, let's take Governor Phil Murphy, for example, of New Jersey. Governor Phil Murphy of New Jersey is recognizing now that Biden is probably going to be a one term president. He's definitely going to be a one term president. So what he's trying to do right now is he's trying to position himself to run for president of the United States of America. And a lot of Democrats are doing this as well because the absolute failure of what they're seeing right now in this administration. So they're doing all this right now because they know that Biden is done. I mean, even if he does run again, he can't win. So he would face a primary challenge in his party, no doubt. But he's not going to run again. He may not even finish his first term. So everybody's lining up right now to be the heir apparent to Joe Biden, to be the heir apparent for the party. It's why Governor Phil Murphy is raising money. He's not raising money for 2028. Look, Democrats may lie and say that, but they're not raising money for that. That's not that's not what, what this is about. They're raising money to run in 2024. Biden's done. Biden is done. You know that. I mean, you, you're smart enough to know that. And a big part of it is because, let's face it, we have seen liberty crushed due to COVID. I mean, you want to talk about because COVID. Because COVID has resulted in more authoritarianism around the world, more tyranny around the world, less freedom around the world. You are less free right now than you were before this pandemic. And the world is less free than before this pandemic. And a big part of that is also we have lost the government. Whatever trust was left, that's gone now. I mean, I don't trust. I've never trusted government, but... I think for a lot of people who did, maybe kind of middle of the road people, they've really lost trust because their kids are suffering now wearing masks and they don't have any backing now to justify this. And they see all these hypocrites out there taking their masks off all the time. This is Dr. Michael Olsterholm, who was on President Trump's uh, Operation Warp Speed saying about this loss of trust originally so then what do you make of the argument that by loosening some of the restrictions now and by dropping mandates the the hope is that you're buying goodwill uh, among the public so that if in fact there is another variant they will once again start wearing their masks as opposed to be telling telling people to wear their masks you know in perpetuity or or, you know for months on end You said it very well. We have two pandemics going on right now in this country. One's caused by COVID, and it surely is taking a heavy toll on us. The second one is a pandemic, a loss of trust in government, in public health, and in some cases, the media. And in all cases where we lose the trust of the people to try to get them to comply with recommendations to help save their life and the life of their loved ones becomes very challenging when they don't believe you. And so I think it is important, as you just stated, we have to basically take the recommendations we make and match them up with the seriousness of the circumstances at 
at the time. And right now, the public is over with this pandemic. The virus may not be over with them, but the public is over with it. Yeah. We have to acknowledge that and respond accordingly. Michael Osterholm, thanks so much for joining. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up next, it might be a cyber attack on Ukraine's and there were black people. So I think for many people, the Simpsons yellow signifies white, even if mm. it's it's actually not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had actually thought of that. Yeah. Right. yeah <laughs> so, um, yeah. and I think, it, yeah. you know, I think one of the callers also mentioned this. There is this default to thinking about whiteness as almost raceless. By the way, I didn't, um, that wasn't an error just then. Holm stopped speaking and I meant to hit the play button because I got distracted by him saying COVID was over. And uh, when he said COVID was over, you know, people are done with the virus, whether the virus is done with them. I, I thought to my mind, oh, that's right. That's why NPR is doing the skin color emoji. But this is the best part of this of this entire NPR podcast. When they start talking about people who think they're being raceless, whatever the hell that means. Ready? This is why I fear for the future, because this is the crap that's infiltrating our kids' minds. Here we go. The Simpsons yellow signifies white, even if it's it's actually not. Uh, I had actually thought of that. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So, um, and mm, I think it, mm, you know, I think one mm. of the callers also mentioned this. There is this default to thinking about whiteness as almost raceless right. in many ways. Yes. So the reason that I find this particularly interesting is because people are are confronted with having to make their race explicit, which I I mean, I completely hear uh, some people are just exhausted of having to do that. Uh, Many people of color have to do that every day and are confronted with their race every day. But for many white people, they've been able to, let's say, ignore it or whether that's subconsciously or consciously their whole lives. Zara, it does feel like there's not necessarily one clear-cut answer from everyone. You know, in some of the Twitter responses, even I heard from people, like, their emoji use could be different depending on the season. Uh, Mm -hmm. I have two children whose skin color is not the same. Um, Mm -hmm. I I don't know. What if, and and two with tanning booths. I mean, you know, the tan, the tan, this is is why the pregnant man emoji is going to be a big hit, you know. The pregnant man emoji, because really, men can't get pregnant, of course, but if they're going to sit around and discuss the complexities of the color of the emoji skin, imagine when they get to the complexities of men who aren't pregnant who use the pregnant man emoji. Wait till that episode airs on NPR. I can't wait. Oh, I'm ready for it. Let's cut through the BS. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. So the Biden administration, as you know, is going to move forward with safe injection sites. The Justice Department of the United States of America is going to allow it. A little bit of context. Before COVID, the safe injection sites in Philadelphia was a big story. We talked about it every day on on, on our station, on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. At the time, Bill McSwain, William McSwain, was the United States attorney and a Trump appointee. He's now running for governor of Pennsylvania. He said he would not allow it. He would he would use all the resources of his office to go in and bust them and, and shut them down. And actually, they are illegal on the federal level because Joe Biden, when he was a United States senator, went after crack houses, went after crack houses as a U.S. senator. Big time. Well, that's what you know, I mean, that's when he was a big racist, remember? And so back then, uh, that was totally fine to go after crack houses. Now it's racist to go after crack houses. It's also racist to not hand out crack pipes because you're wondering that, too. Are we giving out crack pipes or what's going on here? Get to that in a second. So U.S. Attorney Bill McSwain said, we will shut down safe injection sites. And so the city of Philadelphia was going to go forward anyway. There were court challenges, COVID hits, everything kind of went on the back burner. Well, now that COVID's over, uh, suddenly now there's all these challenges again, and, and they want to move forward safe injection sites. All right. Now the Justice Department, now that uh, Biden's there, has now said that they'll let them happen. 
they'll let them go forward. So people are going to be able to go in and shoot up heroin under supervised eyes of government. How they get the heroin, no idea. It's still illegal to buy it and sell it. And so you got to bring it. They're not going to supply it. You got to bring your own heroin. And you got to do it there in front of them. How you get it is anybody's guess. And that's why I've said, I mean, it's simple supply and demand. You're going to have a need for heroin. You're going to need people to fill that need. You're going to have, from a drug dealer's perspective, a huge supply of customers who demand your product. It's going to work out quite well. It's a good time to be a heroin dealer. Basically, with masks, it's a good time to be a criminal just in general. I mean, basically, right now, with lax prosecutors, it's a good time to be a criminal, no doubt about it. I mean, that dude walked out of Trader Joe's with 10 steaks and said he was going to feed homeless people. Then he had to steal a grill and charcoal. That man who stole 10 steaks out of Trader Joe's said, I'm going to feed homeless people, which is why I suggested he should go steal a propane tank next. But anyway, Jackie Heinrich confronted snarks on this issue. Are we doing the crack pipes, or what are we doing here? We're doing crack pipes. This is courtesy of uh, the Media Research Center. HHS just put out a statement clarifying um, around some reports uh, that crack pipes are not would be part of the safe smoking kits that are funded by mm-hmm. the administration. Um, but can you clarify for us, were they never a part of the kit or were they removed in response to this reporting and this pushback? Is the they were never a part of the kit. It was inaccurate reporting and we wanted to put out information to make that clear. What is in the safe smoking kit? Uh, a safe smoking skin may contain alcohol swabs, lip balm, other materials to promote hygiene and reduce the transmission of diseases like HIV and hepatitis. I would note that what we're really talking about here is steps that we're taking as a federal government to address the opioid epidemic. This program, though, is focused on harm reduction strategies, including prioritizing the use of fentanyl test strips and clean syringes. And all of these harm reduction services uh, that will be supported by these programs are are intended to save lives. And will encourage drug use, obviously. The administration support any effort then to distribute drug paraphernalia? that we were hearing about. We, the statement makes clear uh, that we don't support federal funding, indirect or direct, for pipes. Okay, thank you. Um, and then on the safe injection sites that the DOJ is evaluating, mm-hmm. um, was this a, an ask from the White House that they review that policy? Because I know that for years DOJ has opposed efforts to open safe injection sites. It's under litigation, so I can't speak to that. But what I can tell you and reiterate is that uh, the White House is committed, as, as, I will, as I would reiterate for you, many Democrats and Republicans, including Senator Cruz, uh, to taking steps to address the opioid crisis. What would you say to critics who are concerned that um, the Biden administration is somehow encouraging illegal drug use? I think that it's important to step back and remember, just to put a little more of a fine point on it, that we're losing an American life every five minutes to overdose. We don't have time for political games. But these decisions that are being made at the local level, like you guys always talk about, are out of step with the science that is at the forefront of the CDC, of this White House. So why are we not hearing the same messaging, criticizing states that are you know, making these moves, like we heard previously um, with well, you get it. I mean, that's that's really the point here. And the Biden administration, remember, said that they were going to fund the kind of things that could be used basically now to help somebody use crack cocaine. And they withdrew that after the outrage came loud and clear. An HHS spokesman declined to specify what's included in the smoking kits. 
but similar distribution efforts provide mouthpieces to prevent glass cuts, rubber bands to prevent burns, and filters to minimize the risk of disease. Now, of course, it's against federal law to distributors sell drug paraphernalia unless authorized by the government. Now, remember this too, that this plan under harm reduction would also include other equipment, including syringes, disease screenings, fentanyl strips, condoms, et cetera, et cetera. And she says, we're losing somebody, you know, once an hour, whatever it is, addiction. So the harm reduction is going to be supplying people with more of what they need to be able to do drugs. I guess my question is, how are they getting the drugs, though? Why not legalize drugs? Why, why not just come out and legalize drugs? I mean, as part of harm reduction, what would that do to cut down on harm? Why don't Democrats want to do it? I know the answer to that, of course. Democrats would never want people to have the freedom, A. B, the war on drugs is incredibly profitable. And C, they love to be able to still treat people like victims and dangle things like crack pipes or safe injection sites over their heads and act like they're being compassionate when all they're doing is promoting a culture of addiction and still making the very thing they're addicted to illegal. But they're making the means to go and enjoy that thing that they're addicted to easier and easier. It's actually pretty cynical if you think about it, isn't it? Adam Kinzinger is a uh, he's one of those neocon guys. He hates Trump's guts. The media loves him. He was on The View today. Uh, I guess what what the translation for this would be this government arm up, load up, lock and load, because you got a lot of MAGA out there at any minute now. You know, it's it's like after January 6th and they love this. It's the same thing with after 9-11. Remember, after 9-11, the security state full-blown security state with with the spying on us everywhere, the, the national security state monitoring our phone calls or e- our emails. You might be a terrorist. You never know. You might be talking to a terrorist. Uh, take your shoes off, the TSA, all that stuff, the new normal, blah, blah, blah. Well, January 6th comes along. They want to use the exact same stuff to weaponize, quote-unquote, uh, domestic terrorism now, too. Because everywhere you look, everybody could be a domestic terrorist. You might be a domestic terrorist. Just look around. Your friend may be one. You may be one. Somebody else may be one. All right. And they do this, of course, what it means that the federal government gets bigger and bigger and bigger and more powerful, gets more guns, tries to keep you from having guns and on and on it goes all under the guise of that, excuse me, preventing the next January 6th. We did all these things that violated civil liberties to try to prevent the next 9-11. Now they want to use those same things to prevent the next January 6th. This is why back then I told you Whenever we allow our civil liberties to be violated in the name of keeping us safe from terrorists, they will take that power we give them, weaponize it, and use it for political purposes every time. So to those people that used to say to me, what do you want? What do you want? People that get blown up by terrorists? Well, now the terrorist is you. Here's Adam Kinzinger. Now, Trump still has a lot of power over people in this country who believe that the election was stolen. This week, you said you fear that there is a real possibility that a civil war could happen again and that our basic survival is at stake. What makes you think it could get to that point? Because I think we have to recognize that possibility. And in the past, I've said, oh, we don't want to talk about it because, you know, I I don't want to make it likely. Well, let's look at where we are. A civil war isn't what it was in the 19th century. It's not state against state, blue against gray. It's going to be armed groups against armed groups, targeted assassination, violence. That's what a 21st and 20th century civil war is. I don't think we have to say, you know, we're identifying now by our race, by our ethnic group. We're separating ourselves and we live in different 
different realities. I don't think it's too far of a bridge to think that's a possibility. And I think we have to warn and talk about it so that we can recognize that and fight hard against it and put our country over our parties because our survival actually matters. Congressman. And of course, arm up the federal government, expand the powers under the Patriot Act, the domestic war on terror. You see what I mean? This is this is what they're talking about here. This is the truth of what they're talking about. Now, CNN is pointing out Joe Biden's horrible poll numbers, and I guess it's like everything else in life you say. When you've lost CNN, Joe Biden's poll numbers are historically low. And remember something now, inflation is historically high. Stocks are getting killed again. Inflation's soaring, highest it's been in decades. Uh, exceeding expectations. Biden doesn't have a clue on why this is happening. They keep blaming COVID. Biden's poll numbers are in the tank. Do you approve of President Biden's job performance? Well, look at how bad these numbers are for the president. Only four in 10 Americans, 41% at the moment, approve of his job performance. Nearly six in 10, 58% disapprove. That's a tough number early in a midterm election year uh, for the president of the United States. Now, why is this happening? This is fascinating. We asked people, what has President Biden done for you that you approve of? 56% of Americans, nearly 6 in 10 Americans, that means a decent amount of Democrats said nothing. They disapprove of everything that has happened. Now, yes, the president would say, we passed the rescue plan. We passed the bipartisan infrastructure plan. It is not sinking in out in America. 56% of Americans say nothing. They disapprove of everything that has happened so far. They disapprove of everything. This is what I mean. America hates you, Joe Biden. They really do. It's bad. And this is why he's never, ever going to be a two-term president. He's not. Mark it down. Write it down. Trust me, he's not going to be a two-term president. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. John Stewart came to Joe Rogan's defense. And in doing so, John John Stewart made a really important point, okay? And this is something that liberals need to remember. And I, you know, I respect John Stewart. I disagree with him on many things, but I respect the fact that he's always been consistent on civil liberties for the most part. I can't say definitively always. I don't follow everything John Stewart does, but for the most part. And John Stewart was a big critic of the war on terror, a big critic of the Iraq war. John Stewart makes his point, right, as he's talking to Harvard professor Dr. Joan Donovan, that, hey, look, you know what? Uh, you got to defend Joe Rogan because I was able to go out there and criticize the Iraq war, and at the time that was misinformation. And this is really important to recognize this fact because, yes, he's right. This is exactly the point. The New York Times, right, was a giant purveyor of misinformation and disinformation. I don't know that the Times was purposeful, but misinformation. And that's as vaunted a media organization as you can find. But there was no accountability for them. And I think where I get nervous is in the run up to the Iraq war and in the prosecution of the Iraq war, I was very vocal and sometimes <laughs> cursed uh, about, about that. But the mainstream view, the New York Times was They have weapons of mass destruction. They have these tubes that can only be used for nuclear war. Uh, Saddam Hussein is this, he's that. Couldn't I have gone down and fallen down this, if, if Viacom or Comedy Central had wanted to censor me or had wanted to take me out the pot. Look, I'm not owed a platform, nobody is. 
So it's not it's not a First Amendment issue. It's not any of that. We're really once you're in bed with a corporation, the deal is they have to sell enough beer and and you get to do what you want. <laughs> but but my point is, this is a, these are shifting sands, and I think I get concerned with well, who gets to decide what that? I mean, we in the Iraq War, I was on the side of what you would think on the mainstream is misinformation. I was promoting what they would call misinformation. But it turned out to be right years later and the establishment media was wrong. And not only were they wrong, in some respects, you could make the case that they enabled a war that killed hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people and never paid a price for it and never had accountability and just having an ombudsman print a retraction to me is an accountability so it's very easy to attack rogan but and i'm not saying that that's not your right and and that there aren't things there to talk about but what i'm saying is let's be careful because this have a great day. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Thanks for listening.